Super Friends with Eric Esquivel. So welcome back to Super Friends. Uh, this is uh, Eric Esquivel, and I'm joined today by Steve Siegel, one of my favorite Superman authors of all time. Not to hype you up too much, but yeah, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming down. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, remembering I was alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we're talking about It's a Bird, which is a graphic novel that I enjoy tremendously. Um, every time I date someone who doesn't like Superman, I give them this book <laughs> to explain why I like the character. Yeah. Uh, so it came out first in 2004, right? Yes. And it just recently was re-released in July. Yep. And that's really exciting. What was the sudden interest that made it uh, back in circulation? Uh, I've been asking him for years. You know, it's a it's a book that I I buy on eBay and take to conventions because people always ask me for it, and it's just not available. Mm-hmm. And I just keep saying to DC, people keep asking me for this, put it back in print. And uh, the powers that be finally smiled on it and said, "All right, we'll put it back in print." So it was very exciting. Yeah, it's a phenomenal, like perennial book. Um, and it's it's the first Vertigo Superman book too, which is of note, right? Uh, yeah, well, there there weren't supposed to be any Vertigo Superman books, mm-hmm. uh, but I uh, I'd read Paul Levitz, who was the editor in chief back then, had said in an interview, uh, you know, I I wish the Hernandez brothers had brought us Love and Rockets. I mm-hmm. wish Jeff Smith had brought us Bone. Why don't people bring us these things? We'd publish them. Uh, and he, he I heard him say this. Actually, it wasn't an interview. I, I was in an elevator with him at San Diego Con. Oh wow! And I was working for DC, but he had no idea who I was at the time. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm gonna put that in the back of my mind for now. And years later, when I thought of the "It's a Bird" concept, I just thought I'm gonna go straight to Paul and just say, you know, you always say people don't bring you love and rockets. People don't bring you bone. And the reason why is because you're afraid to do stuff that you know might rock the boat a little bit. So you should take a chance on this. Uh, and Karen Berger was like, we can't say that to Paul. I'm like, you can say that to Paul. I have a very good feeling that he'll respond well to that kind of argument uh, because I had overheard him say the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. So she went and told him that, and he approved it on the spot. That's excellent. So let's talk about the premise for the book. Would you mind giving us the, the elevator pitch? The elevator pitch is uh, it's about a writer named Steve who is 50% me, 50% made up, mm-hmm. uh, who is offered the job of writing Superman and has absolutely no interest in it because he has no access to the character. Mm-hmm. And the reason he has no access to the character is kind of 99% uh, me and truthful, which is that uh, Huntington's disease runs in his family and he doesn't kind of can't reconcile the idea of superpowers uh, being the result of, you know, hyped up genes or changed DNA when the DNA and genes in his family pool are doing the opposite to people. That's really interesting, and and I read this at a point in my life when I was like my goal is to write Superman as as a, <laughs> and, and and you mentioned here that like every author has two things that every comic book author has two things they want from their career they want to be asked for their autograph one time and they want to be asked to write Superman those are the two benchmarks for for most comic guys and the fact that this character didn't uh, respond to that second one was like shocking to me yeah it was really really interesting so the the Huntington's disease uh, part of the story that's that's accurate to your your real yeah experience? definitely runs in my family absolutely my aunt died of it and the character in the book that uh, represents her is that's pretty accurate i'm sorry to hear that and, and something's gonna get us but uh, yeah. yeah it's an ugly way to go yeah and, and so that is a it's a genetic disorder that sort of uh overrides your ability to control your own actions right yeah your motor functions stop so you know one of the my aunt actually lived out here in los angeles during the last years of her life in a, an assisted living place for about 10 years and you know, we didn't even know if she was aware that we were visiting her, for example. You, sure. know, just, you have uncontrolled motor functions. You can't really eat. You can't really communicate. It's, you know, you're locked in, but you're constantly moving. So you're constantly exhausted. And mm-hmm. it's just a, it's an ugly, ugly mess of a thing. 
Sure, sure. And you mentioned that's why this character couldn't relate to Superman, having been the opposite of that, where people kind of look at him as the symbol of, of like of action and ability, and they worship that strength. And you were saying that like real strength isn't actually like the ability to punch a robot; it's to <laughs> it's to endure these these life lessons. Yeah, though, although I was offered Superman four times in my career, and I turned it down. Uh, the first three, and maybe should have turned it down the fourth. That blows my mind. <laughs> uh, well, because I actually I don't I don't. Uh, connect to superheroes all that much to be honest with you i thought it was just superman but it may be maybe a bigger uh, epidemic for me um but it's because i was a skinny kid in school you know i was the the kid who was not going to get anywhere through physical sure prowess so and my my mental powers were stronger but uh, yeah. i wasn't going to knock anybody out with a cy bolt either <laughs> uh, so just in general for me uh, even though I loved comics the whole time I was growing up and I read a lot of superhero books, when it came time to write about them, every time I tried to write superheroes, it, it seemed uh, false to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just seemed like I didn't have anything to say. Now, nowadays, I kind of understand what was wrong with my process and I think I could do a better job. Uh, but uh, it was interesting to just take Superman apart in a book and try to figure out why does he work? Because he didn't work for me. Yeah, and the irony in this book is that the author uh, keeps going through his, his notebook and like doodling those little ideas about Superman, and they're all phenomenal. I think there's like 21 and two-page short stories with yeah. Superman in the book, and he's like, I think maybe I could do this, and they're like these really poetic, great distillations <laughs> of the character. And he's like, oh, I could never write Superman, and that, that's the great irony of this book. Yeah, it's a it's a book about how much somebody doesn't like Superman, and in not liking him comes to wildly respect the character. Yeah, and that's such a crazy journey. I, I love I love that a lot. The relationship with the editor that the author has in the book is that does that mirror real life? Well, no, so the the weird thing about verisimilitude and doing semi autobiographical comics is that for the book, I needed I needed the writer to be offered Superman and be about to accept the book. The truth is, I wrote this entire book first. And then I was offered Superman and accepted it after. Mm. So none of that was real. It's all fabricated to make the story work. Gotcha. So my editor, uh, eventually when I was on Superman, was Eddie Berganza. And it was a much more uh, functional relationship just in terms of he needed a writer. I needed health insurance. We were able to make (laughs) that work. My man of action buddies, Joe Kelly, Duncan Rulo, Joe Casey, were all on the Superman books already. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hang out with my dudes. So there were lots of reasons why I did it, uh, but not really the ones that are in this book. But the ones in the book are definitely the emotional reasons of why I didn't accept it the other times it was talked about that I should go to those books. Gotcha. And you wrote for uh, Superman 190 to 200, right? Yeah. And and Jim Lee was already slotted to start with 200? Well, yeah. So I did I did one issue, uh, the Tencent Adventure, yeah. and had a little bit of fun but thought this is a big mistake. And I immediately asked Eddie if I could quit <laughs> uh, for all the reasons that are in my book. I should have read my own book and not taken the job. You know, it's like, no, no, just you're you're doing great. It's, it's a great issue. Do another one. And I was like, Ugh. and I seriously, my health insurance was through DC. I had to do something. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote another issue, uh, and I was just like, this is a really bad, so bad funny. fit and a bad idea. And so I called Eddie again. I'm like, I, I have to get off this book. I can't. I just should not have said, yes, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll stay a month or two if you need to find somebody. And he said, he's like, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I got Jim Lee. I've got Brian Azzarello. I just need you to stay through 10 issues, mm-hmm. and then they'll come on. And I was like, Okay. I, I hate letting people down. I hate saying I'll do something and then not doing it. But sure. it was a bad fit, and I I should have walked. I don't. That's so funny to hear you say that because I love those issues. <laughs> and, and like uh, Eddie Berganza's sort of a, he has like a famous quote where he said like when Superman gets a haircut, it's on the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. So he asks his authors kind of to just stay the course, like don't do any dramatic, don't make him like lose a hand, but have like emotional stories where he has like an emotional arc, and then. Uh, 
but don't change the status quo too much. Yeah. And I really like you created Sorel. You, you were the co-creator of that character. Yes. Although you know, it's it's, it's the memories are flooding back that I'd forgotten about. But uh, the day I took the job, not the day, but the very first meeting I had for Superman, the monthly comic, mm-hmm. we went to the Warner Ranch in Burbank. It was all the Superman writers. They flew Joe Kelly out. We got taken to a little conference room, and Dan DiDio walked in and said, "Listen." The Brett Ratner version of the Superman movie has fallen apart. Mm-hmm. I don't want any attention drawn to these books for the next year. That's such a hard assignment. Like, don't don't do anything flashy. Don't like do the best. I don't well, know. Well, you know, at the point at which I finally talked myself into doing Superman, it was to do something. Yeah, yeah. And so my marching orders were don't do anything, oh or at God. least don't do anything anyone will notice. Which you know, my work usually draws that that kind of factor. But I thought on <laughs> Superman, I might do the opposite. So. Joe Kelly and I had a really cool idea for what to do with Superman that was immediately then flushed down the toilet uh, at that oh, meeting. Man, you know, and Can again, I please read that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, and again, the weird thing—I had forgotten all about this—but a lot of it had to do with Superman having a kid, uh, not in the way that he did in the movie. But then the movie went ahead and did that, and it was mm-hmm. like, well, you can't do that story for sure. Uh, and then the movie did that story, and in retrospect, maybe nobody should have done that story. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, I like the Sorel character a lot. It was it was a Supergirl for like the the nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, and uh, her costume was great. And I, I liked her costume. I the big reveal of who she really is was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Again, it was for me that was a nuts and bolts kind of. I, I decided I would do Superman, emphasizing the super part because everybody yeah. was doing the man, 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 and I was like, let's do something about science and physics. And I loved that about your arc. Like I, that was an era where everyone was like, I'm going to be like a highfalutin Superman guy, <laughs> and I'm gonna, and we just wanted like a fun all ages. Like your your stuff was like the fun, flashy, what you could give like anybody and they would enjoy it, like an eight year old to an eighty year old. I really well, thank you. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I I did what I could given the circumstances. I, I wish I could have done what I wanted to do. Sure, sure. Don't we all? Yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Oh, Superman. But yeah, so uh, it's a bird was sort of where you could do what you wanted to do with the character yeah. and talk about it. So that's that's an incredible. Story. Well, it's a bird was great because uh, Teddy Christensen, who painted it, he won an Eisner for painting it. Actually, yeah, he, yeah. Um, he lives in Denmark, and I occasionally have to go to Denmark and stare him in the eye to make him finish whatever we're working on. Sure. Artists. And, uh, yeah. So we were finishing up a House of Secrets painted thing that we were doing, and I happened to be in the the region, or else I flew over to stare at him. I can't remember which one it was. <laughs> uh, I was traveling with my wife, was actually with me. Gotcha. And we were talking about what do we do next, and I, didn't have, I had no ideas. I was like, let's just get through House of Secrets, and then we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. And I got up to go take a piss in his bathroom, and literally thought of all of it's a bird. Had I'd had oh, no wow. no pre knowledge of it, no thoughts of Superman, no thoughts of anything like that book. And literally in the space of about a minute, just the whole book flew into my head. And so I went out and I was like, Teddy, I know what we have to do next. And I literally talked him through almost the entire book as you read it. Yeah. He was like, Oh, it's great. Do you think they'll let us do it? I'm like, No, I don't. <laughs> so we'll probably have to turn it into some other character and it'll be weak. But I said, We we should go for Superman. We should try mm-hmm. to get DC to do this because it the story is a lot better if it's Superman. It just, you know, that's the iconic superhero. Yeah, of course. So that's when I remembered the Paul Levitz thing in the elevator. And I was like, I think I can, you know, at least get Karen to hear me out. So I I wrote Karen a letter instead of calling her. And I was like, here's what we want to do next. And I know you're going to say Paul won't do this, but you have to trust me. You just have to ask him. Mm-hmm. And she wrote me back. She's like, I'm not going to ask him. This Superman is a no-fly zone for Vertigo. We can't do this. I cannot ask. Mm-hmm. I said, just trust me. Just go set a meeting just go ask him and he's gonna say yes she's like it's not gonna happen but i'll i'll do it but then figure out what you're gonna do because we can't do that book Mm -hmm. 
And then he said yes. That's so good. And you sort of created a genre in that way, too. Like, I know uh, Paul Zini just won an Eisner for writing a book about where he interacts with Batman and how yeah. like, Batman helped him rec- recuperate after surgery. And it felt a lot like like this book to me. And Gene Tripp, have you ever read the book Something Terrible? I, it's strange to say that I have on my, literally on my desk, I have Buy Something Terrible written down. It's wonderful. Gene <laughs> uh, Tripp's amazing, and that book is, is fantastic. That also felt uh, very inspired by this. So it feels like you created like a subgenre for superheroes. Uh,. You know, I don't know. I'll I, give you that. There, <laughs> might, there might have been other things before it too. It's uh, mm-hmm. that's it's if it influenced somebody and made them tell stories about themselves that are truthful and kind of play in the superhero pit. Hallelujah! I like those books a lot. Yeah, uh, I but, loved it. That's what this podcast is generally about. So people reading Superman stories and talking about how they affected their real life. So this is like an episode of this podcast. So if you're a fan of this, <laughs> you should definitely get it's a bird for sure. Sweet. So I'm a huge fan of you. I wanted to focus on this book, but on my mind's firing it. Uh, I want to talk about Man of Action. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. So when you were writing Superman, uh, you developed a camaraderie with the other creatives that were on the books. We actually we had a camaraderie predating that when we were all in the X books. Okay, yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So you so all I, met on the X Men books. I knew Duncan uh, via a mutual friend who never introduced us, but then we found each other anyway. Duncan Rillo, your friend. Yep. Too. Yeah. I knew Joe Casey because he worked at the bookstore about a half a block from where I lived. Really, which bookstore? Uh, it was in Burbank, and it was a movie and film bookstore hmm. that's uh, not there now, but funny, a cool, cool bookstore. So I had met him there, and I. Met Joe Kelly the day I started on the X Men. Okay, and I uh, actually I met him in a limousine uh, going to the the X Mansion kind of resort place where they used to have all the story conferences for Marvel. Gotcha. And I, I hated him so much uh, <laughs> because he had just graduated from college and he was on the X Men. And I had worked in comics for like ten or fifteen years. Yeah. And I had clawed my way up to the X Men, which was the top book at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who's this little bastard that's just put right on the <laughs> X Men? First job bullshit. Yeah. Uh, can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I, no, no. I tend to cuss a lot. Uh, and then I got into this limousine with him, and I get carsick all the time if I'm not driving and especially in a stretch limo which Marvel was trying to be impressive I guess and I was just like oh Man, my god that was the day yeah so I got super super sick on the ride to this thing and by the time we got there I was completely nauseous and a lifelong Joe Kelly fan right on right because on. he's he's hard to dislike for more than a minute or two yeah his work's really great too I don't yeah. know him personally but I love his work so that's that's interesting so we would do these conferences and we when I was on the X-Men it was also very difficult because Marvel was bankrupt and they were that book was such a percolator of, you know, all eyeballs upon it because it was the one making money at the company at the time. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a difficult time to work on those books. But I really liked working with Joe and Joe Casey was there doing cable and Duncan was drawing like X-Force. Mm-hmm. So we all knew each other that way. And we liked when we were in this big room of people doing ideas. I would always go, I like those ideas. And I wouldn't have done that, but I like the way they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And then as we migrated over to Superman, it was still... We all liked each other, but just working on these big franchises was problematic. And I think it was Joe Kelly who said, we should do this, but not for them. Yeah. And all that's such an uncommon idea. Like the, guy, the fact that you guys weren't competitive, um, I think it blows my, like I work in comics too. And that's crazy that you all got along so well and that you could like uh, tell your story on the, on, the, on the X-Men books. Well, we, but we are competitive and we're still competitive. Okay. Uh, in terms of we all we don't work the same way we don't have the same creative process we don't have the same tastes in things we don't have the same tone or style so we we're wildly different but we respect that the other guys might come at something Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't come at so 
what we do is everybody just kind of throws out ideas, but we immediately go, oh, that's the better one. Okay. And as soon as we go, that's the better one, then we let go of our own personal whatever. Or like Joe Casey, I think, makes a career out of us going, not that idea. And then he goes off and does a 12-issue series about that <laughs> idea. You know, it's like you don't you don't have to waste the ideas just because they don't get picked in the, the room at the moment. That's why comics are great, too. They might not make yeah. like a giant billion-dollar film, but you can go do Butcher Baker, the graphic novel, and it's Absolutely. the coolest thing ever. Yeah, and in Man of Action, we still do our comics. They're all Man of Action bulleted for image, but mm-hmm. we do them separately and we can do whatever we want mm-hmm. but then when we work on cartoons or movies or tv shows you know we just we put on the group think head and just it's what idea is the best which one a lot of, a lot of times i even best just like which one will the network approve or sure, which sure. one is good for a seven-year-old yeah you know, i none of the stuff i write is good for a seven-year-old but i know how to put on my good for a seven-year-old brain gotcha gotcha so when you're an x-men did you sort of form like a united front against editorial notes or how did you first band together and start like Working so tight, not against. You know, I I always I'm a little weary of all the the creators who are like, oh, editorial's out to get me. Editorial has a job to do, and if you take a job like X Men, it's not your book. Correct. It's the company's book, and you really you need to do your best to do what they need done. Mm -hmm. So you know, I hate Gambit. I'm from Biloxi, Mississippi. (laughs) There's nothing Cajun about that character in my estimation at all. Uh, or Louisianan or Creolan or anything we want to attach an end to. Sure, sure. Uh, so when I got on that book, I was like, he's out of here. I'm, I want nothing to do with him. <laughs> uh, and luckily, I, the first issue I first issue I wrote was 353, but then in a weird confluence of events, I wound up going backwards and writing 350 and then mm-hmm. making up 351, and then there was a 352 shoved in between and mm-hmm. just all this craziness. So, but my first issue was The Trial of Gambit. I'm like, well, it's going to end with Gambit out of this book and off of this team. Uh, which I did do, and that was exciting for me to not have to think about him going forward. I love how personal all these stories are to you. How you look up- <laughs> <laughs> Everything's personal. That's great. Uh, and then within minutes, you know, the the higher ups who had uh, Marvel had about three different owners in the time I was on X Men, and somebody came in there like Gambit is a very popular character. He should be in the book next month, mm-hmm. and I had to literally plunk Gambit right back in the book. Well, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to write him. I didn't want him in the book. Mm-hmm. But if the company's in trouble and they go the way financially we're going to get forward is putting gambit back in the x-men mm-hmm. you have to do that yeah yeah, yeah. The job. and you know i did as good of a job i could do with a moment's notice which is eh, questionably good <laughs> uh but but that's that's what that gig is so when people are you know do, do you team up against editorial if you do you should quit gotcha uh, and and do image books which is eventually what i did that's yeah. what i should do so how did you pitch like because x-men was sort of like it was the hot hand at marvel and then you guys came over to superman which wasn't like the hippest thing in the world at the time so did you pitch everybody coming over at one time or did you all was it a it was it was migrations okay yeah nobody we weren't uh it's always hard for me to remember what all these years were man of action 17 years old technically mm-hmm. you know from our first job but we all still always did comics. And so yeah. I know when Joe and Joe were on were on Superman, sorry, that they would immediately were asking Eddie, oh, bring Steve over. And Eddie would call and be like, do you want to come over? I'm like, no, I don't want to. <laughs> not into that. Thanks. Uh, and then Duncan is also draws. So he was drawing yeah. all over the place. But then, you know, Joe Casey was like, oh, I've got one with apes in it. I want Duncan to draw that one. And so they were just kind of all in the office okay. more than uh, a a concerted effort to get us all over there. Gotcha. But then Joe Kelly became obsessed with getting all of us over there and was like, you have to do this book. And I was like, ugh. 
So at what point did you become this gang, this man of action? Like when did you file for that LLC or whatever? Like, <laughs> we filed for the LLC because we were getting paid and we had no way to cash checks written to man of action. <laughs> sure, we were sure. like, oh, we don't actually have an entity and we don't have a bank account. and But we do have checks that people are paying us for jobs we're doing. So literally- Legends the first? Uh, no, we did four short films uh, for a company that no longer exists. I had four. no idea. What are these? I know, right? I, I can barely remember them. One of them was called Killing Castro- and it was like some sci-fi time travel movie that's like a million other sci-fi time travel movies about getting rid of somebody important in history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was like a, a she-bat kind of thing. We each wrote one of them, but we collectively edited each you other. You said a she-bat kind of thing? Something like I'm that. Sold I, I, I'm sold literally. I think that's the one Joe Kelly did, but I don't I don't even remember these things. Okay. I think one got made to it. I don't, if it did, I never uh, saw I'll it. I'll look it up. Please do. Right. Let me know. But that was the first thing we did. Second thing we did was X-Men Legends for Activision because we were, we were all former or maybe we were current X-Men writers at the time. I can't quite recall. Uh, but I hate video games, too. I don't even, I don't own a console. Yeah, I was given either. an Xbox One, and I put it in my closet for a year and then gave it away. <laughs> uh, that's how. And so I've never played any of the video games I've written, but I've watched, like, Joe Kelly and Duncan play them, so I feel like, you know, that's that's something. Is it hard to, like, be uh, in someone else's story? Like, to be immersed in someone else's, for, for, video, for video games? Like, what is the uh, aversion there? Uh, I think the aversion is how much time I would spend if sure. I got into it. That makes and sense. I have no time for that. So mm-hmm. I've just avoided it like the plague. I went to E3 last year. Our publicist was... We, the, the other guys were always like, get us into E3. We want to go to E3. And I'm like, what's E3? And, uh, <laughs> and she got us in last year. She's like, oh, I got you front of the line VIP access. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't even know how to hold a controller. Like, I don't... <laughs> I know nothing about video games. Sure. So I took somebody with me to be my player. Hmm. And I would, you know, we'd be whisked into these private rooms, and I'd be like, "Oh, this is Jesper, my player." I'm was it like in a tuxedo, like your manservant? Well, he, he was. Your fingers he was very good, but I looked so baller. It was like, "Oh, this guy brings somebody to play for him, so yeah. he can watch." But it was because I literally don't know how to play video games. That's so, so funny. That's pathetic. That's I like that a lot. So the man of action name is that a uh, Jimmy Olsen or Superman reference, or is it just? It is not. It's uh, our original name was going to be Evil Geniuses. Gotcha. And. Uh, when we were trying to file for an LLC, somebody had Evil Genius LLC. Some coffee roaster in Detroit. I know, right? It's terrible. Uh, and then I think Joe Kelly said uh, uh, Man of Action first, so he gets he gets credit for it. I like it. And her. we all, again, I wouldn't have named a company Man of Action. I don't think Joe Casey would have. Duncan, maybe. But then we all heard it and we're like, okay, let's go with that. We all liked it immediately. And that's that's just the way we make decisions. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you guys are all great in Superman. It felt like it felt like young nineties X-Men kids like taking over DC. <laughs> and like and that's where I was at when I was reading those and they were they were amazing. It wasn't like the uh OG golly shucks. It was like real action packed fun stuff and, and new creations. I love the Sorrel character, like I mentioned, and new villains and yeah. Yeah. It's uh Part of that is just wanting to leave something. Part of that is if you make new stuff, you don't have to read all the old stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I I also feel like, again, just from what I learned about writing Superman for the It's a Bird book, I just knew I didn't want to play in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, the sandbox, I do respect it wildly. And I think it's a, you know, a creation like that that endures that long, mm-hmm. deserves respect. And that's the short stories in It's a Bird are really my uh, admiration for the character and the construction of the character and the... Siegel and Schuster for making the character, yeah, yeah. but doing the monthly comic, I did not want to. It, it was. I'm never that guy who's like, oh, my nostalgia. I can't wait to do my version of. Sure. It's and the few times where I lean into that, it's it doesn't turn out well. So I just thought I had to do something else. Gotcha, gotcha. And you create a lot of your own new creations now, and with Man of Action, like you guys created mm. Ben Ten, yeah, which is a huge global phenomenon, a new superhero that kids love. I know it's kind of it's crazy. Uh, 
I I just posted a thing on Facebook because I'm going to Dragon Con, which I've never been to. All of them man of action guys are going to head down there because we're trying to do cons we haven't previously appeared at. And the the guest page had me above William Shatner. Oh man, not above like it. but just alphabetically. Yeah, yeah. I was like, who would have thought? Like I watched Star Trek as a kid. Yeah. No part of me thought my picture would be above Will Shatner's picture so going, cool. these two guys are going to be at this con. One of those two guys will have a really long line and the other one will be me. But it was still <laughs> exciting uh, to see that. And Ben 10 is the same. It's it's so weird. Uh, like I took a, a trip with my wife to Estonia, like uh, the not Estonia. We went to Estonia, but it was uh, Scandinavia. Okay. So we were hopping all over different countries by trains and boats and stuff. And uh, we took an overnight boat from Estonia to Stockholm, I think. And in the duty-free gift shop, there was Ben 10 merchandise. That's so awesome. And I was like, this is so weird. Uh, in my neighborhood, there is a pinata that is a bootleg Ben 10. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, my, my buddy was in Ecuador, uh, and he uh, showed a picture. I guess an Ecuadorian tradition at New Year's is that you drag kind of an oversized pinata behind trucks, and then mm-hmm. you burn them in effigy, mm-hmm. and somebody dragged and burned Ben 10. Oh, man. He was, like it's, he was like, it's either a lynching or you should be honored. I was yeah. like, I'm going to go for the honor. That's so funny. So pitching around Hollywood, uh, the way that you guys pitch is legendary, but I don't know if it's accurate. The the pitch for Ben 10, was it like 20 ideas in 20 minutes? We did do 20 ideas in 20 minutes. We don't do that all the time. I think that would wear people out. Uh, But in that particular case, because we're creative guys, you know, and it's like when I do comics, I try to structure them differently every time. I try to change my work method all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm a former speech teacher, so I feel like you got to do some audience analysis. Yeah. And Matt Sinreich uh, from Robot Chicken fame, knew Joe Kelly and I from Wizard Magazine. Mm -hmm. And he was like, hey, you know, Cartoon Network wants a boy show that's kind of like Fantastic Four. You guys should pitch him that. That's what you do. We don't do that. And then we immediately said, nobody wants, no boy wants Fantastic Four as a cartoon. That's the wrong analogy. So we're not going to give him that. We're going to give him something else. Mm -hmm. And then we had so many ideas. We were like, which one should we give them? And we we knew a little bit about Sam Register, which is who we were pitching. And we're like, you know, he's he's a yes-no guy. Okay. So let's not give him an idea and talk to him for 30 minutes if he's no at minute one. Mm-hmm. Let's just give him a bunch of minute one. That is so smart. And so we literally took a stopwatch. We took a bell. Oh, man. Each guy took five pitches, and we'd just start the stopwatch, read 60 seconds of it, somebody would ring the bell, right along to the next one. That's so great. Uh, and and it, it was a legendary pitch. We've never done that again. But, but you nailed Ben 10 off that. We nailed Ben 10 off of that. And actually, we also pitched Generator X that oh, really? day, and we pitched uh, a thing called Seven Seas, which is now going to be called Zack Storm and it's gonna be a Netflix show very cool so you know three of those things have actually showed up and P.S. there are 17 more that nobody ever asks about oh man that is that is excellent so you guys uh, you also get hired collectively to work on properties still like um, you're doing the new Mega Man show is that we correct? are doing the new Mega Man show I just went to the first voice record up in Vancouver on Monday it was mm-hmm. super exciting that is that is awesome uh, can, yeah can you tell us about anything else about the Mega Man show well yeah I mean it's Ben 10 has done just a lot of business globally and mm-hmm. and so once you do that then everybody goes take our thing and make it make a billion dollars yeah, yeah so the fun part is we get offered nearly everything it's a good rep to have man it is a good rep to yeah. have uh strangely we didn't get offered big hero six but that's a whole nother story. that's insane to me because uh, that was good off alpha flight yeah. yeah 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 but most things we get offered and uh you know most of them we turned down just because there's only four of us and there's yeah. only so many hours in the day and sure sure uh but Mega Man showed up and everybody's like oh Mega Man, Mega Man, Mega Man. well i'm not a video game guy mm-hmm. and i'm slightly i don't know if i'm older than all the guys but i'm older than casey and kelly for sure uh, and I just missed it. I missed Mega Man at its two kind of peak periods. I know what Mega Man is, <laughs> but I didn't have quite the same fan reaction. And uh, we don't take jobs unless all four guys say yes. Gotcha. Oh, so, that's really interesting. Yeah. 
so I saw that all three of them were like, yes, and I'm, I was really a no, just kind of sitting there waiting to happen. Mm. So I, I was like, I'm going to look into Mega Man. And as soon as I looked into it, I'm like, oh, we have to do Mega Man. This is super cool. Yeah, And they awesome. also let us do what we do, which is we love we're we love nostalgia, but you can't do that. You can't make the thing that was made before. Like when we did Spider-Man cartoon, you can't make the one that came right before it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work for kids. Like every generation is different. They have to have the thing that they imprint on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Mega Man people were really clear about being open to us going, you're going to have everything you love in Mega Man. There will be a Mega Buster. The uniform will look the same. Mm-hmm. But we need to really rethink the world and, and do something for now. And they were like, fine. And they let us do it. And it's turning out really, really well. I think that's why I liked your Superman stories, too, is that they never feel like cover songs. They never like, here's the, here's my version of this thing. That's, I can do it even better. Yeah, they're always such brand new ideas. It's, it's so fun. I love Man of Action. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I love them, too. Big, big fanboy. <laughs> yeah, so let's uh, take a break for commercials real quick. And uh, yeah, one second. All right, so we're back after those messages from our, our LexCore. <laughs> <laughs> they're evil, I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems like you're more inspired by like uh, Siegel and Schuster than the actual Superman character. That they actually creating new new properties is what where you're at. Like you're not a big, you're not like trying to be Superman. You're trying to be uh, the best version of Steve that you can be. That's I. Uh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to put that. I hadn't thought about that that way. But uh, I'm interested in people being the best version of themselves they can be. I'm I'm a former teacher, so I used to teach college, and I'm I'm very. Uh, student-minded like and my, my thing about when I taught was I taught one semester of college where I would thought I would had to act like a college teacher sure and oh, that's I, interesting. I think I was pretentious and unhelpful and insecure in my own you know newness about it all and right away I, I knew that semester was not a success and my second semester teaching I went to a different paradigm which was does the person in front of me need what they're getting from me Gotcha. As opposed to who who am I? That's really in it. interesting. Who are they in it? Mm-hmm. And it just changed everything. And it it you know I I literally would go through my textbooks and tear chapters out if they didn't have some relevance for people's lives. Oh wow! Moving and I would just tell them like you can just tear chapter eleven out. It's I don't know why it's in there. You shouldn't have to read it, let alone do it. Uh, we're only going to do stuff that tomorrow you can use at your house with your family, or five months from now you can use in a job interview, or uh, and and. I've just it really shaped the way I thought about what I do. Like in my work, I'm definitely uh, I'm, I'm mean to my readers. The few that I have, you know, if you like my last book, my next book will leave you scratching your head because I don't ever want to do the same thing. Yeah. And I'll pivot, you know, and do a, a kids book one minute, and then something really heady the next minute, and then a black comedy, and then a crazy, you know, thing about physics or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I ask a lot of the people who like my stuff to follow me because I'm going to go in, in tangents. But I do think that a common thread is that all my stuff, uh, in one way or another, is about kind of finding yourself and, and you know who are you in the world and what good are you doing. Uh, and I always think when I talk to new writers, specifically, I have a, a writers group that meets every week, and a lot of the oh, wow. guys are like, "What do I do? How do I work on this?" And I'm always just like, "What are you? What are you asking people to pay for? You know, you're saying give me an hour of your life and seventeen dollars for this book I'm making. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's in it for them? You know, and I think." I don't think you have to write for your audience, but I think you have to ask yourself, is it worth an hour of somebody's life, you know, or two hours if they're a slow reader? Is it, you know, it might be worth the $17 or $17 you might be able to get past quickly, but the time, you know, taking somebody's time, there better be something in it. Mm-hmm. And I read a ton of comics still, and I read a bunch and I go, I, I might have preferred that 20 minutes yeah, to yeah, what yeah. I just read. You know, it's, it's not, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just like, gotcha. I don't know that people always think about 
when we get to these comic stories that are like, here's my version of Camellio Lad or whatever, mm-hmm. like, I don't need your version of that. I need to know who you are as a person and why you wanted to tell a Camellio story, yeah, which yeah. is not the same thing as you geeking out and telling the best Camellio story you could possibly think of. They're, they're different roads. Mm-hmm. And I prefer people who are, you know, giving me something that they learned in their experience through their work. And, and I go, oh, I'm, I relate to that or I don't. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of comics that I think, well, I don't get that at all. But I still like the book a lot because I'm my brain is then going, how did they get on that path and why do they think that way? Gabrielle Bell is somebody, I read all her autobiographical comics and I tell people all the time, like, they're like, what are you reading? I'm like, I'm reading the new Gabrielle Bell book. I said, I didn't don't think I even liked the last one <laughs> or the one before it or the one before that. But I read all of them and I read, I'll read i read the next one. Like there's something working on me in what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I feel like I don't like it, but I can't stop reading the next one. Mm-hmm. So I, I really like things that are personal, and I think everything can be personal if you really think about it that way. Sure, sure. Yeah, your work is so confident, but there's no it's not like didactic. You're never like, and then the moral of the story is at the end, <laughs> and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. I try not to be didactic. Uh, strangely, my reviews often say didactic, so... Uh, maybe not, but uh, I think the idea is that, like there's strong themes in your stories. Like you address family a lot, which I thought was really do. interesting. Like in the It's a Bird book, it's all about your connection to the world as kind of defined by your roots through your family, and, or like the character's brother is in it, and the character's like mm-hmm. an aunt and a mother and father, and the idea of like family secrets being like a secret identity. I really related to that. Was very sure, funny. sure, sure. Yeah, I mean that's House of Secrets. I think Genius is a family story that I did with Teddy after It's a Bird. Mm-hmm. My, my family is great, and my mom reads all my comics, and she'll call and go, why did you write that? <laughs> and I'll be like, it's not you. It's yeah. just me thinking about things about families in general, and I know lots of other families, and you know, it, it definitely interests me. But my family is, uh, you know, it's got warts like all of them do, mm-hmm. but it's the bedrock of why I turned out the way I did, which I like the way I turned out mm-hmm. for the most part. Uh, you know, like my dad was in the Air Force. He was super poor. Oh, okay. Uh, I remember that we were we were poor. I mean, there's no question about it. My dad was a staff sergeant when he was in the military for 20 years, which is a pretty low rank after 20 years. Mm. Uh, and yet, I never felt like we didn't have stuff and sure. didn't do stuff. Now, in retrospect, I go, oh, we would get in the car. We lived in L.A. for four years, uh, and we would get in the car, and we'd drive down to San Pedro, and we'd buy a loaf of bread, which was, you know, 40 cents or something, and we'd sit at the beach and eat the loaf of bread. And then we drive home. To me, I was like, what a great adventure that was. You know, <laughs> In retrospect, I go, oh, that was a day where we spent 80 cents on gas and 40 cents on a loaf of bread yeah, because yeah. it filled up a day for $1.20. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty brilliant. And yeah, they, yeah. they did a lot of stuff like that where it was like really, you know, making the most out of a, a bad situation or a, not even a bad situation, but, a, a, you know, we were not the rich people we lived next door to for sure. I find that a lot in comic book authors, guys who uh, enjoy the low point of entry for a comic where it's it's as cheap as you can get. It's cheaper than a video yeah. game or a movie or, or getting cable. And, and like the fact that you can live a whole world in your, inside of your own head. That's, that's really fun. Yeah. And I think in Man of Action, that's why we still do comics is that a lot of the things we do, like if we do, uh, been 10 we have a crew of about 40 people mm-hmm. here and then there's a bunch of people in korea animating it sure. if you do a movie there's three or four hundred people and then if there's effects there's another two or three hundred people mm-hmm. if you do a tv show it's like 180 people but you can still do a comic with one person if you can write and draw or sorry the the box fell uh you can do a comic with one person if you can write and draw or two people in my case because i can't draw so me, yeah. me and an artist and i love that like I've, I've been doing these camp midnight books with uh jason katzenstein mm-hmm. And he can write, he can, well, he can write, he doesn't need me, but I've talked him into it, but he can pencil, ink, letter, color. So between the two of us, we just, we can sit down and over the course of a week, make 10 pages of a book done. And we don't have to ask anybody. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not like, hey, editor, what do you think of this? Or, hey, publisher, do you think this will sell? You know, Eric Stevenson very kindly took a risk on just doing a kid's book all of a sudden, and it did pretty well for Image. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might not have. And right. it's it's nice to just grab somebody and do something that's clean and exactly what you want. Yeah. And if it flames out, it's because of you. And if it's a success, it's because of you. And that's yeah, yeah. that's great. Camp Midnight, are those, are those just available at Comic-Con? I think I bought mine from the Man of Action team. No, we put out a whole ago. giant book. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very it came cool. out through Image. Uh, it was the free comic book day comic, and then it came out that same week also. Excellent. And now we're working on a sequel. Yay. Yay. Cool, cool. So, yeah, the comics that you guys create never feel like they're um, pitches for a movie or for a TV show. They feel like just awesome comics. Yeah. And, like, occasionally that comes out that way. I know, like, Officer Down was adapted. Yeah. I Kill Giants is getting adapted. Yeah. Um, but they never feel like they're, they're like, these crass pitch, like, leave-behinds. Well, no, because we're, we're comic fans. Yeah. And that's, that's how we got into this. And... It's very funny because people will call Man of Action, call our manager and say, we want to meet with Man of Action and figure out how to turn our screenplay into a comic book. Well, oh, they I meet get that with all us. The time. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, we'll meet with them, but our first thing we're going to say is don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you really love comic books and you have a budget of what you can afford to lose making the thing you really love, mm. just don't do that. Just write the spec script. You know, This is a time where there's so much content being made, people would rather just read the script. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a comic book is not going to help you because comic fans go, that's a movie that you turn into a comic book. It it smells like it on all angles. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's a very time consuming thing to do a book. You know, like it's a year of an artist's life to do a, you know, 120 page graphic novel. Uh, it's a couple of months for a writer. It's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. If you don't love comics, it's the wrong place to go. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, Yes, it's down and dirty, and yes, you can kind of do it on the fly, but it's still time-consuming, and it costs a lot to print a book. I mean, digitally, it changes things because mm-hmm. you can just post stuff, but everybody wants it in paper. Well, that's expensive, and storing it's expensive, and shipping it's expensive, and it's it's just it's heavy. It's uh, it's not something you should take lightly. It's like adopting a kid. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. It's very intense. What do you? Uh, I don't want to put you on the spot. What do you? What is your favorite? This is my favorite comic you've ever written. It's a bird. Is like a bible to me. But you personally, <laughs> what? What is your favorite work that you've done? Uh, I mean, it's probably it's a bird. Also, really, I, I, that's great. I, I like all my books. So mm-hmm. you know, it's like which which child did you throw overboard? Of course, in case of emergency. Of course, you know. I try not to do books that I don't like. I did some monthly comics here and there where I would not have done them in retrospect or if I didn't need my health insurance or whatever. Oh, gambit. Change my mind. Uh, <laughs> but for the, all the stuff that I do through Image, through all the stuff that I've done through Vertigo, I love all of it for different reasons. You know, mm-hmm. It's like I, I did five years of Sam and Mystery Theater because I loved working with Matt Wagner. I loved working with Guy Davis. I loved working with all of our other artists that we had. And I loved the 1930s yeah. in general. So the research of that book was as fun as doing the book for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was sad to see it go because I, I love those characters. I love Wes and Diane. I wonder what they're doing. That book you know? was great. It didn't feel like, again, a cover song of a JSA story. It yeah. was very much its own thing. I love those two. Well, and, you know, Matt started it before I came on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much about the JSA because I was a Marvel teenager when I was growing up. Sure, so sure. Uh, what little bit I knew about the JSA was me going, oh, we're doing Crimson Avenger. I got to go read old Crimson Avenger stories. And then, I, gotcha. you know, they're great fun, mm-hmm. but I don't have that in my DNA to, to need to regurgitate it. So I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh, but It's a Bird was the first time I felt uh, like I was really putting myself out there. Mm-hmm. And I was nervous about it. I was mostly nervous because I didn't tell my parents I was doing that book. I was like, I'll just wait till they read it and see what they think. Oh, wow. Uh, which is a lot given the subject matter of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A big theme in, in the story is that your family doesn't really talk about disease so much. <laughs> uh, so that's that's intense. How did that go over? You know, my family, my family talked about Huntington's disease more than most. But I did a – after this book came out, I was invited to speak at a national Huntington's conference mm-hmm. – 
keynote and you know one of the things i was talking about was the the shame factor and the it's easier just to be silent about it and mm-hmm. try not to my parents had enormous guilt that they had kids because they didn't know they had huntington's disease oh, man, until after heavy. they had them yeah uh and uh, and that that's very common like at this conference i went to i had that conversation with a lot a lot a lot of people about how it's just it's so shameful to think that you've cursed your kids and one of the reasons I wanted to write that book thematically was to say, no, you know, you're going to die anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go this ugly way, whatever. It's what did you do before then? I love Uh, that, man. I love that. Yeah. Something's going to get you. Yeah. 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 And it seems to be a a thing that you've addressed again. We mentioned Sorel a couple of times and that character is a a future daughter of of Lois and Clark and she comes back and she's from a world that's kind of negative and and they want to like, yeah. So that seems to be a theme that keeps propping up in your work. Yeah, I think uh, when I was a kid, I kept telling my parents they weren't my parents, that I was adopted and I was happy for it. Uh, and then this picture of my grandpa from World War One showed up, and it's a picture of me wearing a World War One bomber jacket. I was like, crap, I'm not adopted. Oh, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's beautiful. Uh, kind of, yeah. And so then I was like, oh, I have to own all my, my family heritage roots. And the older I get, the more I go, oh, the reason I'm generous is because my dad was generous. The reason that I like all kinds of people is because my parents who are from the South, like uh, the racially charged South of a different era, you know, would take us to African-American friends house for Christmas in Compton when we lived here. Like they, they knew that they came from a place that they needed to evolve and they did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I, just, a lot of good stuff in me is just shit that rubbed off from them. And I think uh, acknowledging that is fair. Yeah. I like that a lot. A lot of the guys I have in the podcast talk about how like they're, they're, family life wasn't great and that's why they got into comics they got lost in the superman character and he sort of raised them but it's i think you're the first guy that had like a healthy family relationship yeah and then wrote a bunch of fucked up comics so <laughs> uh everything it writes like murder and death and ghosts and i don't know what's what's going on there but murder and death uh, and ghosts. The next book from man of action <laughs> exactly yeah no i've i've actually the reason i did camp midnight was because uh, we have so many fans of like big hero six ben 10 or mm-hmm these Generator Rex shows or the Marvel cartoons that we did. And then they'll come up to us at conventions and be like, what can I buy from you of your books for my kids? And I'm like, none of them. (laughs) They're dark. Uh, So now I'm just trying to do some things that could be read by the family as well. That's great. That's great. And a lot of books have like families that aren't necessarily biological too. Mm -hmm. Like in the Superman stuff, there's like Tracy 13 and and the Steel Kids all together. And it feels like Man of Action maybe. I don't know you guys and how you work, but (laughs) you have like a, a crew that you can go out in the world and it's hard to be a writer in LA and it's hard to make it. And you have this like, like gang that that you can we do and i and i'm I'm always looking for communities like that Mm -hmm. i think i think there there are people who helped me when i was a a bad writer trying to become a better writer and i'm just very aware of that and i'm very aware of the need to do the same thing so like i i have a writer's group that is you know 80 percent established writers but i always let some new new young turks in that's great so they can sop up some knowledge uh, and i think that that's that's a good thing i think the way we work at man of action we have a a large stable of writers that we work with on the shows that we do Mm -hmm. instead of uh you know i think a lot of shows are staffed by the same people time and again and we're trying to bring in new people all the time and pardon me uh, give everybody a chance you know to to do stuff and earn their wings and some of them are spectacular and some of them flame out immediately but that's that's also useful like that yeah. first script that goes badly my first animation script went very badly what what show is it for it been ben 10 oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't quite know what i was doing uh and we had showrunners who were like you don't really know what you're doing and i was so offended and they were completely right as it turns out mm-hmm. uh and i got it on my second script i was like oh i know what i was really missing gotcha. uh, this this first time around but is it like the format of tv was was strange for you yeah i think so i think 
I think because we made it up and because we like TV and we watch cartoons, mm -hmm. you know, we go, that's enough. And, yeah, yeah. and I've watched so many, you know, uh, would-be writers go, I like comic books, so I'm going to write one. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's not, that's not quite how that works. Yeah. I teach a writing class here at Meltdown in the back. Nice. And we, we have guys that come from, like, from TV and from cartoons, and you have a completely different animal, and they get really frustrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was looking at a script just a couple of days ago for somebody, and I was like, uh you can only have one action yes. per panel description. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like, I know you work for moving images, but you can't do it. There's like 10 panels every page. Yeah, have, yeah it's super funny. So working in TV and working in film, it's, it seems like a, that's what everybody wants to do. You have you, not to say that you've had like a like a charmed career, but you kind of have. Like it's great. They, they, <laughs> you, you got offered Superman, and you turned it down. That is like the ballsiest thing in the world. And then you got it right eventually. And then a lot of comic guys I know like their goals to get into Hollywood and make movies and TV. And you've done that on, on your own projects and others. That's very cool. Uh, like talking back to if you could go back in time and talk to that kid who's eating a loaf of bread at the beach, <laughs> like what would what would you tell him about about where you're at where you're at now in your life? Well, that kid was going to be a teacher. So, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to be a teacher or an architect. Those are my two career pursuits. You said you can't draw. That's really interesting. Well, and this is why I'm not an architect. Oh, I, that took, makes sense. I took drafting in uh, high school and I got a C minus or a D or something. And I was like, well, that's not good for the architecture career. Gotcha. Uh, now it's all computers. I probably could have made it. Oh, man. Draw. But that's why I did House of Secrets. Like that was my architecture <laughs> wing was uh, doing a haunted house story. That's funny. Yeah, you uh, wrote a, a screenplay for that, right? I did. It didn't get made uh, because Scream 3 came out and didn't make enough money that week and then the project was killed immediately. Like causality. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, but uh, but yeah, I always wanted to be a teacher. So I think that kid thought he would be a teacher. And I did teach college for a number of years. And I I will go back to teaching when Hollywood chews me up and spits me out uh, <laughs> because it's I love teaching. It's I teach actually in Denmark. There's a school uh, really? called the Animation Workshop, and they only have two degrees. They have animation and graphic novel. Oh wow! And that's it. What is that called again? It's called the Animation Workshop. Okay. And American people can go there too. Actually, I think it's cheaper to go there as an American than to go to a lot of the American art schools. Hmm. Um, but I, they'll let me come teach a week or two week class once a year so I can still dip my finger into it and have an interaction with the students. And, uh, and I'm actually doing a project, uh, with a lot of those students, uh, for image that's going to come out next year. Really? Like a, an anthology type thing? It is. Uh, I can't tell you what it is yet, okay. but I can tell you that I, I love form. So I'm a, I'm a formalistic writer. I mm -hmm. like messing with form and trying to see if. I feel like I know how to tell stories now, and I'm just trying to find ways to see if form can break me. That's kind of what I'm into sure, these sure. days. Uh, and it, it kind of started with it's a bird in spades, uh, just trying to do weird forms. But one thing that I had been thinking about a lot was I like David Sedaris, and I like Spalding Gray, and I like these kind of monologist essayists. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, you know, we have graphic novels. Why don't we have graphic essays? What is a graphic oh, essay? Okay. And I think there are books that I've read that I go, well, that's, that's a graphic essay when you think about it. But I really wanted to go... I'm going to make that a form, and I'm going to do some essays with my buddies. So I, I told Teddy years ago, I'm like, I'm working on graphic essays, and I'll hit you up later when I figure it out. Well, I never figured it out. Mm -hmm. uh, and so recently I, I went to the, the Animation Workshop students, and I just said, look, I have this idea for this book. I've never been able to crack what it's supposed to look like. How about you guys do it? Wow. And so they're doing it, and it's going to be – it's they're – it's actually done and it's great. Mm -hmm. I'm just working on a couple of revisions with them, but I, I think graphic essays could be a thing now. That's really interesting. Are you able to apply that sort of obsession with tweaking form to other mediums? Like when you work in film and when you work on TV, can is that a thing that is just uh, available to you in comics? It is more readily available to me in comics because I, uh, working with Image, which is creator in charge, I can just decide what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Teddy and I are doing a project where... Uh, he had an idea for a story 
And I was like, well, don't tell me the idea. Just start executing the story. Oh, wow. But draw it in all exactly same size panels. So they're these kind of landscape panels. Just like grids? Like No, just a, a, like two per page rectangles, oh, okay. one, on, one, one over the other. And I said, do them, but don't send them to me as pages. Send them to me as images and send them out of sequence. Oh, man. And then I'm going to sequence the images and write a script for whatever shows up, and then that'll be our book. That's a cut-up technique. Like, well, it is. It's a thing I do with new writers all the time, which mm-hmm. is, you know, their story is inevitable. That you, If I give you three images, you'll put them in order, and you'll tell a story. And if I tell you the order's wrong, you'll just retell the story in the new sequence. Yeah. And so I thought, how how big could we go? So we're doing 240 images to tell the story Teddy is thinking about. And then I don't know the sequence. I'm going to put them in a sequence, tell a story, and then that's the book. So whatever he had in mind is not the book. <laughs> I don't have anything in mind because I don't know what the book is. Yeah, yeah. And then when the book is done, it'll be a book neither one of us knew we were working on Man. until it was over. That is like like reverse Marvel style. Yeah, but I but again, it's like I've worked long enough. Uh, I, my first comic came out in '87, and it's 2017, so that's like 30 years. Congratulations. Thanks. Uh, but I I've worked long enough that I get it. You know, mm-hmm. I know how to I know how dialogue works. I know how theme works. I know how pacing works. So I feel like I feel confident in those things, hmm. confident enough to not have to be in charge of draw this first and draw this second. And this book is about I'm, I'm confident it will show up. Gotcha. Gotcha. With most writers, when I read their stuff, I can tell exactly where they're coming from, what they're trying to be, uh, like who they're emulating. I can't do that with you. Yay. Like, when you were when you were a kid, what, what comics, what were your first comic? What was your first entry point into this medium? My parents bought me Avengers 89. Uh, which was Captain Marvel being electrocuted on the cover and creepy alien stuff and scary witch stuff. And I I was six. I lived here, actually. I lived in Burbank, and I was terrified. Really? Yeah, I was terrified by that comic. I looked through it once, and I gave it to my brother. I'm like, (laughs) I don't ever want to see this again. Uh, And I recently bought just a pristine copy because Mm -hmm. now, of course, I love it. Um, And then I got into Mad Magazine, uh, which my brother was buying and I wasn't supposed to be looking at, so I was, of course, all into that. How much older is he? He's four years older than gotcha. I am. And then, uh, and then I had no no love of comics at all for a long time. And then my, I got into junior high. My best buddy, Eric, was buying Spider-Man. Mm. We had to go to the store every week so he could buy Spider-Man at the grocery store every month or whatever. And I just got tired of walking with him and not coming back with anything. <laughs> so I started buying X-Men and Marvel Premiere. Mm. So those were my first kind of two books. And then Iron Man, I added on... Uh, and I would just read them, and I liked them. I, I love them, actually, in retrospect. But I would just always go, this is stupid. I could have written this. Hmm. Because that's what you say when you're a fan of something. Uh, yeah, 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 Now that there's the internet, you say it even louder. Yeah, message boards uh, uh, yeah. abound with those kind uh, of guys. But I was that guy. And then he just got tired of it, my buddy Eric. And he's like, well, then do it. Just write something. So I sent in a proposal for... Oh, what was it? It might have been Black Widow or something to Tom DeFalco at Marvel. And there he was like, you got some talent, but this is not good. You know, hmm. kind of letter of rejection. And how old were you? Uh, I don't know, 15 or 16. That's, again, that's so ballsy. There's such confidence <laughs> in yourself, man. I like it. And then uh, the next thing I sent in, I must have been older. I must have been like 17 because then I sent in something when I was in college, mm-hmm. which uh, I, I sent to a publisher called Renegade Press, Denny Luber, who was married to Dave Sim at the time who did Cerebus. Mm-hmm. They'd gotten divorced and she started her own publishing company and I had this idea for the spy comic. So I sent that to her and she was like, listen, uh, this looks kind of rough and you don't have any experience, but I had a book that dropped out of my schedule and if you can get this done in 40 days, the first issue, and then every issue after that you have to get done in 30 days, I'll do it. Oh, wow. I was in college. I was like, I'll find somebody to draw this comic here at my college, and this will be no problem. And so I had no idea how to write a comic, but I had a deal. 
Gotcha. Uh, and I found, I didn't find somebody, my friend of mine found somebody on campus to draw the comic, and that comic was Kafka, which was the first thing I ever did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it got nominated for an Eisner. That's amazing. And I was like, amazing. well, that was easy. Now I'll just do more of this. <laughs> uh, I own this industry. Yeah, and then I did the Amazon with Tim Sale, mm-hmm. and uh, it did not get nominated for an Eisner, and nobody noticed it to speak of. Was that hard to go from that well, to Well, yeah. I mean, it just seemed so easy the first time. Sure. And the second time was not easy at all. And then I kind of dropped off the map and, you know, uh, I did a couple of quick Grindel. I did a quick Grindel story for Matt Wagner, and then I disappeared and became a teacher and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wondered why the world wasn't calling me to do more comics. And then you discover it's because the world doesn't call you ever. Like, you know, the the fact that we called for a lot of stuff for Ben 10, there's still stuff where we take meetings and people are like, oh, we didn't know who you were or what you do. It's like, you got to beat your own drum, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not good at that. I don't, I don't enjoy that. I think that's a really beautiful thing you just said, though. Like, the world never calls you. Like, <laughs> you, you, you have to go out and do it yourself. I think it's true. And, and that's why you form the collective, because there's more of, an, of a chance of someone landing a job than you just know, one man. I I don't know that that's... I don't think we were looking for jobs that way. I think we liked each other, mm-hmm. and I think we respected the way each other worked. I do think uh, a lot of it had to do with that. The four short films is an oddity. Like, we set up at San Diego. We called ourselves Man of Action. Somebody stopped by and said, do you guys do films? And we just said yes. No, <laughs> none of us had done films. I love that. And and then they hired us to do these things. But it was the next year when the X-Men Legends game came up. That was an enormous job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that script for that was probably three or 400 pages long. And it was it was a lot of work done very quickly. And it came to Casey first, right? I, I can't remember if it was Casey or Kelly, but somebody got offered it and uh-huh. said, "That's I can't do that, but maybe if you know we take the whole group, we can do it. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it had a very short deadline, like mm-hmm. 30 or 40 days or something. So we each just did large chunks of it and then would pass and compare and whatever. And it just went really easily. It was just very easy to work together. Cool. And then, then Ben 10 was the third thing that came our way, and that went pretty well pretty quickly. Yeah, of course, of course. So when this book was... Uh was reissued. I was sort of ex- uh, excited and hoping there was going to be an announcement of like a sequel, maybe. <laughs> the to sequel. See where you're at now. I actually pitched the sequel when we did the book. Did you really? Yeah, which was a Batman story. Okay. Uh, totally different. Not at all what Paul Dini wound up doing. Uh, again, I like same but different. I just thought it would be nice to have a bookend of a Superman book and a Batman book. They would have been radically different books. Yeah. Um, but Teddy, who I love, is very slow and had driven uh, every last nerve out of Karen by taking a very long time to finish It's a Bird. Yeah. And she was just like, I don't want to hear about another Teddy project right oh, now. Oh, wow. But I, I guess Jamie is your editor now, right? Is that correct? Well, Jamie Jamie, Jamie uh, went in and, and strong-armed uh, Scott Nybach and in the reprint collection, mm-hmm. collected editions area. And, and Scott actually is a good champion of stuff that I've done. And cool. They, they just agreed to put it back into print. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, so the Batman thing, once Karen said no, I was like, well, we can't do that at all. Mm-hmm. And then Teddy likes to do biographical or autobiographical books, and I like to do experimental books. Mm-hmm. So we have agreed to just trade off through the years as we work together. And so the next time we had a biography, I said, well, you know, I had this Batman idea, but we can't do that, and mm-hmm. I don't want to analog it. It's just, it's not the same. Sure. So we instead told the story of my wife's grandpa, Max, uh, who knew a very big secret of the 20th century and died taking it to the grave with him. Not at all about Einstein, but I decided to make book genius with Teddy about Einstein because I didn't want to be asked forever about what my wife's grandfather knew about. Oh, because okay. I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> I know what I know what the subject matter was, but yeah. I don't know what he knew, and I I would be hounded forever if I used that. That's really interesting. Again, it's with the secrets theme. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, and I he was dying of emphysema, mm-hmm. and uh, Liesel, my wife, was saying, "Well, we should go spend some time with Max and his uh, wife." before they, they're both very old and he's definitely going to die very soon. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he knows blank. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, I'm like, and I won't tell you what it is either, but it was, if, if somebody said to you, you know, he knew what happened with the Kennedy assassination or he knew that the moon landing was a hoax. Yeah, yeah. It's that. It's like that level of a thing. Oh, my God. He was directly involved in. Okay. And I was like, how is this coming up right now? You know, you know I'm a writer, right? She's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She goes, he won't tell you. I've been, you know, trying to pry it oh, out of him for years. So I was immediately into this trip and I just, I, his name is Max and I would just every day I'd be like, Max come on, man, you gotta, you gotta spill, you know, this thing you've got to, and he would just stare at me and occasionally chuckle and, you know, then say, what's for lunch. And, <laughs> and he just, he was a government man and he was not going to spill. What a patriot. And then he died and I was pissed off that he didn't tell me this big secret. And then I thought if I knew this big secret, which he did, mm-hmm. it might be horrible because mm-hmm. he knew it his whole life and couldn't, couldn't or wouldn't tell anybody. And it's the kind of thing that would change a lot of what we know about what we know. Oh, okay. And it's, I just it's thought- like a burden. That's what I decided. I was like, yeah. I was like, at first I thought he was being a dick and just, you know, I'm going to keep this to myself. And how could you keep a big secret to yourself? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, there are reasons why you would keep it to yourself because it might be really horrible to live with the knowledge of it. And he might be doing us a favor by not, you know, passing it on. Sure, sure. So that's genius became a book about that. Uh, and that would have been our Batman book instead. That, you have such like incredible insight in these super heroic themes, the idea of like secret and secret identity. And like, that's, that's great. That's really, really great. Is, so that was your, your Batman story kind of touched on that. Your Batman no. pitch. No, oh, okay. ba- Batman was totally different. Oh, it wasn't like, a, but I'm just saying hiding a secret. We were supposed to go right in to do a, I was like, it's a bird turned out so well, they're going to want a gotcha, sequel gotcha, gotcha. and we'll do a Batman one. And nobody, nobody wanted that. Gotcha. So then genius came from that. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for talking about this. I really appreciate you coming into the studio today. I'm a huge fan totally of my pleasure. Tell, and this is, this is great. Uh, can we talk about anything? Oh, we have like five minutes left in the podcast. Can we talk about uh, upcoming projects? Do you want to plug anything? Uh, well, man of action wise, the biggest news I think is that I Kill Giants live action movie is premiering at the Toronto International Film Festival in Yay. about two weeks. Very uh, cool. Which just got announced. And I saw an early cut of it with no special effects. And it was super cool. Awesome. Uh, the director's Anders Walter, who's a Danish guy who won an Oscar for the short film Helium. Cool. That book uh, is great, too. I Kill Giants. That's a great book. That. It's yeah. a great. I hate, again, it's Joe Kelly, who's <laughs> nice, and so I don't want to hate him. And yet people come up to the table and they're like, oh, your book is so good. And I'm like, why does it have to be Joe Kelly's book? And, <laughs> you know, uh, but but he he deserves it. He did a lot of great work with Ken Nomura on that mm-hmm. and uh, very eager to see the finished film. It should be exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're... We're doing uh, Ben 10 just keeps trucking along the reboot. We're actually executive producing and, and story editing that series. So that's fun. Uh, we aren't usually in the driver's seat on that show because we're usually doing a million other things. But we just thought it was time to dip our toes in that water again. Mm-hmm. Mega Man show is coming up. That's going to be fun. We have two, three, two, three, three other animated shows that are going to premiere in the next uh, 18 months. Actually, I mentioned there's one on Netflix you said? Yeah, that they've announced that, uh, and that's an original creation of ours. Okay. Uh, called Now it's called Zack Storm. We always called it Seven Seas, but, it, you know, gotcha. legal titles and things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're working on more movies, and we have some live-action TV shows that have been in development for quite a while. One even got greenlit and then pulled after that, so Ugh. we don't ever announce them. Uh, we're not the announcing kind. Gotcha. I think we announce it when it's on. <laughs> I respect that a lot. But we're doing some of that. Uh, the first thing I sold in Hollywood was a live-action hour TV show. Uh, that's what I thought I was going to do when I moved out here. And then, uh, that didn't get produced. It was for Fox, didn't get on the air. And then, uh, cartoons happened. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now I'm just trying to go, Hey, I still wanted to do live action thing. <laughs> so working on that. All right. We'll hope to see that. Are you, are you like a social media guy? Are you online? Uh, you know, I am on, I guess I'm on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and what are man- your handles there? Oh God. See, this is, this is the worst cause I don't ever know my handle. <laughs> uh, but man of action is findable on all of those things. Gotcha. I think it's MOA live or man of action live. I really should know my handles. I don't. 
I'm a, I'm a Luddite. I'll find it and I'll drop it in the title. That would be so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So look below and online. I do write stuff for those all the time, but I don't know where you find those things that I write for those things. <laughs> well, I'll find it. I'll find it. Okay. Thanks again, Steve. This is incredible. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ooh, super friends with Eric Esquivel.